good morning. I'm Rob, one of the pastors, and welcome to River Cross. Uh, we are really glad to have you here today. We've been teaching through the Bible. We started back in September, if you remember, all that long way ago. We started in the very beginning of the Bible, and we've just kind of broken into 1 Samuel, a book in the Old Testament. And today, after this message, we will put everything on pause. We're going to do a Christmas series for the next four weeks. And then starting on January 1st, we will restart back up with this series again, which means for some of you, you're going to get a chance to get caught up on your reading. And for others of you, you can read ahead, and you can become that annoying person that's read ahead, and you can kind of elbow the person next Sunday and say, oh, I've already like 10 chapters ahead of everybody else, and see how that goes. Um, but we're looking forward to an Advent series called All I Want for Christmas, and we hope that you'll be uh, able to join us. We hope that you'll be thinking of inviting some folks to, to come and be a part of that as well. Because it is becoming Christmas time, and that means in our house, it's the time of year when we start sending parcels to my family out west. And uh, I'm ch a little cheap, so I don't like to have a box that's bigger than the gift. And I want to make sure that I'm not sending empty space on the way out west and paying for space that actually has nothing in it. And there's nothing worse than actually getting to the counter at the post office with your parcel that you're mailing out west and realizing that it costs more to send the gift than the gift cost. Have you ever had this moment? You feel really cheap in that moment. And I've had that moment uh, many times. Uh, but it is, so we're always collecting boxes in our house, trying to think, is this the right size? We don't want one that's too big. We don't want one that's too small where we're having to step on the gift and squish it and bend those flaps down and hammer nails into it and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we're in box collection mode. One of my favorite Christian authors is a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, and he writes this. Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending on her concept of God. Christianity at any given time is strong or weak, depending on her concept of God. What he's saying here is when you have a big view of God, your Christian faith will be strong. If you have a small view of God, then your Christian faith will be weak. Or, to say it bluntly, we tend to put God in a box. We tend to put God in a box. Do you think it can be that simple? Could it be that maybe some of the reason that we see churches around our nation today struggling to stay open and struggling to survive is because we have a small view of God? Could it be today that one of the reasons that maybe we struggle to have spiritual health and spiritual vitality and to see faith make a difference in our life is because we have a small view of God? Let's switch gears for a second and think about it in another setting. I know a lady who is very skeptical about medicine and her doctor. And because she has a very small view of her doctor and a very small view of medicine, anything that her doctor prescribes to her, she won't take their advice. And so she's perpetually unwell because of it. Because she has a small view, it impacts the way that she lives. And I think the same is true of faith. I think it's true of our view of God. And I think the temptation for many of us is to have a view of God uh, that he is a certain size that's convenient for us. I mean, we don't want a God that's too big. Because if God is big to us, well then he's going to tell us what to do. We're going to feel challenged. He's going to push us a little bit. He's going to call us outside of our comfort zones. We don't want a God that's too small because that's just kind of embarrassing. And, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're past that. Sometimes we want a size of God that's just right. Kind of like Goldilocks, 
just right. Not too big, not too small. Big enough that, you know, looks kind of impressive, but, you know, convenient enough that we can take him where we want. And, you know, if we don't want to take him, we can just kind of walk away from him. And then if we need him, look, we can just, it's no big deal. It's very convenient. It's just right. And for many of us, this becomes how we think about God. It's how we relate to God. But one of the outcomes, one of the things that we hope as you start reading through the scriptures is that your view of God will expand, that it will be stretched. For some of you, that it will be obliterated, that it will be refreshed and revived, and you, you will get a better sense of who God is and what he is capable of, what he's calling you to, and what he has in store for you. Let's look at a passage of scripture today in the Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking in 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you want to follow along, there's a red Bible in the seat somewhere around you. If you have the Bible on your phone, you can look it up on that as well. 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is a chapter of transition. God had spoken to the king at the time by the name of Saul and told him, Saul, I'm going to take your kingship away from you. You've not been obedient. You've not done what I've asked, so I'm going to remove... The, the status and the mantle of king from you, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And immediately, as soon as God says that, everybody starts to wonder who will be the next king. And everybody has an expectation or a box, so to speak, of how God is going to move, who he's going to pick, the kind of person that he's going to pick, the kind of person that God chooses, the kind of person that God uses in order to be their next king. We're experiencing it right now uh, as a congregation or as a search committee. As, you, as many of you will know, our church is on the search for a Chinese outreach pastor. And so as a pastoral staff, we have an expectation or a sense of the kind of person that will be just right for the job. Our Chinese community has a sense of the person that will be just right for the job. The search committee, the members of our search committee have a sense of what will be just right for the job. And as a bit of a timeout and a bit of an update, let me just encourage you to keep praying for us. God is leading us and speaking to us as we continue to go forward and we just covet your prayers um, as we continue to make progress. But the same conversation is happening all over Israel. If Saul's not going to be king, well then who's going to be king? And everybody has a sense of what that person will look like and what they will do. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 to 11. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? In other words, get over him. He's the past. Since I have rejected him as king forever over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Samuel is the priest of the day. He is the one whom God calls and speaks to and asks to anoint the next king. He says, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. He arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate or make yourselves holy. Clean yourself up and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons 
and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, and Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? I mean, seven? There's... Still the youngest, Jesse awkwardly answers, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for, her and send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy. Have you ever been called ruddy? He was ruddy and a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power, and Samuel went on to Ramah. Picture it for a second. Samuel the priest comes to town to a specific home, knocks on the door, and says, the Lord has told me one of your boys are going to be king. I don't know which one. Bring them by. Samuel is now the Simon Cowell of the ancient world. He's got a form, white-fitting T-shirt. He's at a desk with a red buzzer. And all of Samuel's, or, Saul, or all of uh, Jesse's sons come in one by one. Immediately, Samuel sees the oldest boy, Eliab, and thinks that's the one. Even Samuel has a box or an idea of who the next king is going to be and what he's going to look like. But then we have that great verse, and if you're the type that underlines in their Bible, I would encourage you to underline this verse. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord does not look at us the way you and I look at each other, or the way that we look at ourselves. The Lord looks at the heart. We talked about this a little bit last week. And of course, this presents an enormous challenge to Samuel, who does not have this ability. Then Jesse presents Abinadab and then Shammah, and seven boys come across the stage, and none of them get chosen. And then in an awkward and embarrassing parent moment, Samuel asks Jesse, do you have any other kids? He's like, well, I've got another one, but I had no expectation that he would be the guy that you would choose. So they send for him, and you know how the story ends. He comes in, he gets anointed as king, He's working as a shepherd. He's watching the sheep. He's 14 or 15 years old at the time. He's got his earbuds in. He's playing his guitar. He's shooting cans off the fence post with a slingshot. I mean, he's a teenage kid. But God sees something in his heart and says to Samuel, anoint him. He's the one. And we realize right away that God has chosen someone who is both unlikely and unworthy to be king. Someone who is unlikely and unworthy. It's fair to say that now God is working outside of everybody's boxes and expectation. No one saw this coming. Not David's dad, certainly not his brothers, and especially not Samuel. And yet God moves and speaks and says, this guy David is going to be the next king. 
you know, this should not surprise us. We've seen this from the very beginning of our readings until now. There's this been resounding theme that God picks people who are unlikely and unworthy. He chose Abraham and Joseph and Rahab. He chose Gideon, as we will continue to see going forward. He's going to choose a teenage girl to give birth to Jesus Christ. He's going to choose a fiery fisherman named Peter and Saul, a church persecutor, and Matthew, the tax collector. All of them are unlikely, and all of them are unworthy, and yet God will choose them. And it happens in our day as well. Uh, just not too, too long ago, a gentleman by the name of Chuck Colson passed away. And the day that he died, news agencies were struggling with how to describe and summarize his life. Some referred to him as U.S. President Richard Nixon's hatchet man. He was the guy that took care of business behind the scenes and got things done. He was involved in the Watergate scandal and ended up going to prison and serving time over it. And to some people, that was how they summarized Chuck Colson's life. Other people remembered him as the guy who went to prison, became a Christian, and ministered to hundreds of thousands of prisoners because when he got released from prison, he started an international ministry that served people in the prison system. He wrote over 30 books and had a weekly radio program that reached millions of people. He was an unlikely and unworthy person for the Lord to use, and yet the Lord used him. And when God chooses David, unlikely and worthy, he sends a message to all of us that our box for God is too small. Our box for God is too small. And he unsettles everybody by this choice of king. If this is who God might choose to be king, what else might he do? What else might he be up to? Now, the interesting thing about God choosing David to be king is just because God chooses him to be king doesn't mean that everybody suddenly buys in and gets excited about it. When David gets up for breakfast the next morning and comes on downstairs, his brothers and his father do not bow to him and call him sir. They have yet to buy into the program. They have not yet seen in David what God sees in David. And this becomes evident in the next chapter, chapter 17, that great biblical story about David and Goliath. David's older three brothers had gone off to fight against the Philistines. The Philistines had come into town and were threatening to take over the Israelites. And so the Israelites had sent their army out to keep them from town and to kind of keep them from attacking. Now, the Philistines were maritimers, okay? They were crude and rough and vulgar and tough, just like maritimers can be, right? And they were a a dirty people. They came and they were nasty when they came into town. And they had this leader by the name of Goliath, who kind of, they stuck forward in all of their battles, and they, he was a nasty guy too. The Israelite army went out led by Saul. Saul was reluctant to fight them. Saul's been reluctant from day one. When Samuel first anointed Saul to be king, you remember Saul went home, he didn't even tell anybody. When, they, when Samuel went to announce him before everybody, before the entire nation, that Saul's going to be the king, do you remember where Saul was? He was hiding in the luggage in the suitcases. He was avoiding God's call in his life. And even now in this moment, Saul is reluctant to go to battle with the Philistines. And he's kind of camped out, stalled on the hillside. And Jesse, David's dad, says this. He says, David, my three oldest sons are out there with Saul in battle. It has been 40 days since we've heard anything. This is unheard of. Normally these battles, they go out, they jump right in, they fight for a while, and news comes back to town to tell us what's happening. It's been 40 days and we've not heard anything. And then you've got this great little line. He says, um... Why don't you take some bread and some cheese? I'm sure they're hungry out there in the battle. Take them some bread and cheese and and then come back and tell me what happens. 
So David shows up on the scene and he sees the Israelite army doing nothing. And he sees the Philistine army calling them names, being vulgar and rude and insulting. Let's read for a second. 1 Samuel chapter 17, just the next page over, verse 26 to 32. Just a few verses. So this is David showing up. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's speaking about Goliath here. He's angry. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. There'd been like a prize for it. Then Eliab, his older brother, a.k.a. the first guy to get rejected as future king. Now picture, these are brothers, so maybe if you have siblings, you can picture a conversation like this in your family. When David's older brother heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David. And he asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You have come down here only to watch the battle. Can you picture this brother's conversation? Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So now he's going before the king. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. (laughs) And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been fighting a fighting man since his youth. God calls David to go in to fight this battle. And no one else will see it. No one else sees in David's life what God sees. Not his older brother, most certainly not his older brother. Not his dad. Not Saul who looks at him and says, listen, you're my harpist, get away. And Goliath, of course, thinks it's a joke and heckles him. And maybe someone's put you in a box. Maybe someone has looked at you and the Lord has spoken to you about something. He's called you to something. He's been at work in your life about something and no one else around you will see it or receive it. And everybody else just wants to see you as little so-and-so or look at you as they've always looked at you. You know, in church world, sadly, this has been the experience of many women. People have a box shaped more like a 1950s leave-it-to-beaver culture than what the scripture actually teaches about equality between men and women. They have experienced sometimes being put in a box. Sometimes I talk with people who have a spouse who doesn't come to church and doesn't have faith, and when I talk to them, they've put that person in a box. And in their mind, there's no way that God could reach them. There's no way that God could speak to them. And some people have given up even praying for loved ones who do not have faith. I think about people who've been battling addictions and the people that sometimes surround them that will say things to them like, well, you've always battled with that and you've tried before. It's never going to work. You're never going to get over it. You've been like that. You'll continue to be like that. You can't change. I think of the way we apply this to young people and sometimes to older people, assuming that because of their age, God would never choose someone like them. And if you've experienced this, and if you feel maybe put in a box by the people in your life or in your family, then the lesson of David here is to simply be obedient to what the Lord has called you to do. To be obedient to the thing that the Lord has called you to do. You see, David had been doing his weekly story readings 
And David had a sense of what God was able to do. He knew that he himself could not win this battle. He knew the only way that he could step up there and fight against this giant would be because the Lord would be at work in his life and win the battle for him. Too often we read this story and we turn it into this cute little moral lesson where if you just try harder and believe in yourself, you'll be okay. That's not the message of this story. David knows if he stands up there in his own strength against this giant, he is toast. Instead, he goes up there knowing that the Lord is going to be at work in his life, no matter how unlikely or unworthy he is, and he has the audacity to believe what God can do. And that is the story of David in this passage. I think it's fair to say that of all the characters in this story, David had the largest box for God. He had the largest view of God. And how about you? Would you say, hey, look, I've got, you know, this is not me. I've got maybe this. This is my view of God. He's this big. It's convenient and manageable. And if you spend over $35, it'll deliver it for free. Some of you maybe would say, you know what, I don't have a box for God. I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't know where I'm at with all of this stuff. And others of you are here. You've got a big view of God, and you feel like God has called you to something to be obedient in some area of your life, and you're just wondering if you've got the faith to step out and to trust him. Saul had a small view of God. For Saul, his view of God was about this big. And because it was this big, he lived in fear and anxiety because he could not trust a God this size. With the challenges and the problems and the difficulties that life brings our way, a God of this size will be of no help to you. You'll live in fear and you'll live in uncertainty because a God this size cannot step in and rescue, cannot provide what you need, cannot be there for you in the darkest of times. This was the size of Saul's God. The other thing that runs through this passage, and just powerfully so, is that God continues to use unlikely and unworthy people. God uses unlikely and unworthy people. There's a great quote from Carl Henry, Henry who's a church theologian, and he says this, and I'll, I'll read it for you. He's talking about the future Christian leaders. He says, many of them are probably pagans right now. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would be the great apostle to the Gentiles? And who knew God would raise up C.S. Lewis and Chuck Colson, who were once unbelievers? The next Jonathan Edwards, who was a phenomenal preacher at the turn of the century, the next Jonathan Edwards might be the guy driving in front of you with a Darwin sticker on his bumper. The next Charles Wesley, also a great preacher, might be a profane, womanizing hip-hop artist right now. And the next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a college dorm room. God, throughout time, has used unlikely and unworthy people, reached out to them, and called them to give their lives to him. This so beautifully reflects the heart of God and the grace of God that is extended out to people who feel unlikely and unworthy. It's the great testimony of the scriptures from beginning to end the people that everybody else had cast aside, the people that everybody else had given out to, God reaches out to them and captures their heart. And they hear his message of grace. 
I remember having a conversation with somebody about being baptized, and we're going to have baptisms coming up in December again, so if you're interested in that, certainly let us know. And I remember talking to her about her testimony, and she was going to write her testimony, but she said to me, I'm embarrassed, because when I tell my testimony in front of the whole church, when they hear what I've done, when they hear some of the things that I've been involved in, they're going to think I'm not worthy to get baptized. And I thought, oh, 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 (laughs) au contraire. That's exactly what God does. He reaches out to people who feel in their brokenness and in their sin that they are unworthy of God's goodness and his grace. And yet when they open their hearts, they realize he's reaching out exactly to people just like them. I talked to her and I said to her this. I said, you're going to get baptized. I said, you're going to get in that tank and we're going to read your testimony to the entire congregation. And when your story is read and when people hear a little bit about the journey that you have been on and how you've opened up your heart to the Lord and received his message of grace and discovered forgiveness at the darkest time of your life, God is going to use you to speak to somebody's heart here in this building. And it happened. It happened. And here she was feeling so unworthy and so unlikely And God used her testimony to change the heart of someone else. It's the business that God is in. And so this morning, if you're feeling a little unworthy, or you're feeling a little unlikely, good news. God is speaking to you today. Let me pray. Lord, forgive us today for putting you in a box that we can manage and that is convenient for us. Forgive us for underestimating you. Forgive us for limiting you. Forgive us for having expectations of you that are our size. We pray that as we continue to read, we pray that as we just continue to open our hearts to you, you will shatter that view, stretch our thinking, and help us to see you as you are. And Lord, today I pray that if there's anybody here who's feeling a little unlikely and a whole lot unworthy, that they would know that your heart beats for them, that you see them exactly where they are, and that you love and care, that you would walk with them and help them rebuild whatever's broken. And God, that that is the reason that you sent your son Christ into the world. We pray today that their hearts would be open to receive that. We pray this in your name.